Turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 13 this morning. Last week, we looked at this passage of Jesus and how he interacts with people and how people respond to him, either with total disdain and try to destroy him, or they respond with total devotion. Seeing the story of Mary dump a very expensive jar of perfume all over the feet of Jesus. We come here to chapter 13, that was in chapter 11, we're in chapter 13. What's happened in the, over the course of the week in Jesus' life is that there is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we come now to John chapter 13 where Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples. As we come to this passage here, we're going to read an extended portion, but I want you to focus on the nature of Jesus' love, like his command how his love is shown, who is it shown to, and how it is that we come to know this. I'm going to read a longer portion here just so that you get a sense of exactly who it is that Jesus is demonstrating this love to. John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed, his, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. <clears throat> the story continues. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. 
One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then... After he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify himself at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Father, would you open your word to us and would you teach us? Lord, may we experience your love afresh. May we experience it anew, that we would live for you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Really, again, the high school that I went to was right outside of Washington, D.C., and for all of the positive reasons and for all of the negative reasons, my high school was the ideal place for political theater when it came to education. So while I was in high school, we had visits from several presidents, visits from the vice president of the United States who launched initiatives. We had visits from the attorney general. We had visits from the Department of Education. And we also had regular visits from those who were various cabinet members and who whatever administration was currently going on. And so it became somewhat routine and ordinary for high-level U.S. politicians to be a part of our school. And then they would give some speech about some new initiative that was about to be launched. And so for my high school, graduation, high school graduation, we had the Attorney General of the United States be our high school graduation speaker, which is a truly remarkable and incredible thing. But for us, when it was announced for who our graduation speaker was, we all said, really? Again? Couldn't we have gotten somebody else? Couldn't, I mean, we've already heard from the Attorney General. Couldn't we have somebody else speaking at our high school graduation? And so whether it was from the familiarity of this is just how we became accustomed to, or whether it was we didn't fully comprehend the significance of what was happening, that which was truly extraordinary, that which was amazing, and an incredible opportunity had become so ordinary and so mundane that everybody was like, really? Couldn't we just get somebody else? One of the things that happens in the Christian life 
particularly for those who come to church on a regular basis, is we become accustomed to hearing about the extraordinary and the amazing and the remarkable truths of God and his love and what he has done in the life of Jesus Christ. We hear this so often that that which is truly extraordinary becomes incredibly mundane. So much so that when you come to a passage like this and you hear about Jesus washing his disciples' feet and the command to love one another, the thought goes through your mind, okay, yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah, I've heard this before. This isn't new information I'm going to check out. But I hope as we come to this passage of Scripture here this morning that we would hear the Word of God afresh and that we would regain the wonder of Christ's amazing love. And the way that we're going to see this this morning is I'm going to begin with by expanding upon two different ways that the love of Christ is shown, and then we'll explore how his amazing love is truly known and how it is known to us. Jesus has gathered his disciples together, and his amazing love is shown exactly in how Christ serves them. John wants us to make it clear that we understand the significance of what is happening. In verse 1 of this chapter, he opens up and he says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own to the end who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He goes on to say, emphasizing again, that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. John is writing this not for Jesus' sake, but for our sake. He's writing this for us so that we would understand afresh that it is the Lord of the universe, God Almighty, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who is the ruler over the nations, the one to whom all glory and honor is due. It is he who gets up and washes his disciples' feet. Now, washing feet today is really gross. It was even more gross back then particularly because roads were dusty, they didn't have paved roads, you didn't have sidewalks, you had dust where people walked in sandals that had animals and animal dung all over it, you didn't have modern septic systems and plumbing systems, and all of this made its way out into the road. And so it was typical that when someone would enter into a household, particularly for a meal, that they would have their feet washed. This was an incredibly lowly task. It typically went to the lowest member of the household, and you have to wonder if the disciples were thinking, I wonder which one of, that's, which one of us that's going to be. And in fact, the Midrash, which was a Jewish book of laws, stated that Jewish slaves, that if there was a Jewish household that had a Jewish slave, this task was so low that you could not require a Jewish slave to perform it. So what would happen is that it would be the lowest member of the household who would wash the other people's feet, and if no one had, it would often be the first person who arrived who would wash everyone else's feet and wash the rest of the guests' feet. Well, what's happened on this particular night is that they are having a meal with unwashed feet. Apparently, the disciples wouldn't do it. Apparently, those who were the first to arrive wouldn't do it. Now, let's appreciate where we are in the life of Jesus and the life of the disciples at this point in time. In less time than from now to last Sunday... The disciples and Jesus were gathered together at another feast. And that was the feast for Lazarus and celebrating what Jesus had done. And it was at that feast 
that Mary came in and she broke open her jar of ointment and she poured it over this outrageously expensive perfume and this lavish act of devotion. She poured it all over Jesus' feet. Right after that, that event the next day, Shortly thereafter, there was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus is walking in with his disciples. Everyone's waving palm branches. They're shouting, Hosanna to the King of David. You know, and his crowds are all following around them. At this point, if he said, who would like to be a follower of Jesus? His disciples are like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to get to the point that someone's going to dump thousands of perfume on my, on my feet. I want to get to the point that everyone's cheering for me. But we know, walking into this, that the nature of the conversation is that the disciples were arguing. We know this from the other gospel accounts. And the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest. And they were arguing that when Jesus comes in the fullness of his kingdom, let's look around the room, we know we're on the inner circle, which one of us is going to get the top seat? Which one of us is going to get the position of honor? And so they're gathered around in the midst of this, The disciples fighting over who would be the greatest, having seen extraordinary worship given to Jesus, very deliberately, Jesus gets up, and John's language here is very intentional. He gets up, he laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin. I imagine that you could have heard a pin drop in the room. The sound of this water gurgling as it pours into this basin. The disciples saying, what's going on here? What what is he doing? Is he going to wash people's feet? Well, I hope he doesn't ask anyone. I hope he's not going to ask me to wash everyone else's feet. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so Jesus gets up and he gets down and he begins to wash James's feet. And he dries them off. And then he washed John's feet. And then he washes Thaddeus's feet. And he gets up and then he washes Nathaniel's feet. And he's making his way around this room. What do you see in how Christ shows his love. You see his love in how Jesus serves, is that Jesus certainly did not disdain the most menial and the lowliest of tasks in service to others. And certainly Jesus' service to his disciples and washing their feet prefigured what would happen a few hours later through his death on the cross where his blood would be shed to wash them clean for their sins. But the application of this passage probably couldn't be any clearer. He tells us exactly what this means and what we're supposed to do with this. Verse 14, Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. What's the point? Jesus has given an example, follow his example. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than a master, his, his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And in case they missed it, he reiterates the point 
at the end of his discussion with them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The application is abundantly clear. We are to do as Jesus has done. We are to love as Jesus has loved. We are to serve as Jesus has served. We are to do to others because Jesus has already done everything he asks us to do to us. We are to love others because Jesus has already loved us. We are to serve others because Jesus has already served us. The application rings loud and clear. No task is too menial, nor are we too good for anything. That there within us as followers of Christ, there's a readiness to perform and a readiness to serve. And so certainly this applies within our households of husbands to wives and wives to husbands and children to their parents and to your roommates and to your co-workers. But I would venture to guess that for most of us, our problem with this today is actually the problem of the disciples and the problem that the disciples were having in this passage. Because you can come to this passage and you say, okay, love other people we love because Jesus first loved us. You've heard about this foot washing thing. Maybe you've heard about this before. We're to love other people. And you say, you come in and you start to hear this passage. And as I start talking, you say, yep, I know. Yep, need to love people more. I've heard it before. You know, I could teach a lesson on this passage. In fact, I've taught a lesson on this passage. Yeah, there's other people that we need to love. I've heard it all before. And so had the disciples. And so had the disciples. In fact, they had heard it all before far better than any of us. I mean, the disciples were a part of the best life group that ever existed on the face of the earth. I mean, the disciples had the best Bible teaching in the history of the world. The disciples saw more miracles and more life transformed than anybody else. The disciples witnessed the power of God and experienced it for themselves. They saw Jesus touch the outcasts, him go to the lowliest people. They saw Jesus reach out to the prostitutes and to the woman at the well and to Gentiles and to IRS workers and to tax collectors and and anybody else. And these disciples, I mean, they went on the most amazing mission trip ever in the history of the world. But the problem of the disciples was not that they hadn't heard it all before. And in fact, you can imagine that in this meal, what Jesus does with them is that Jesus could have said to them, Hey guys, last time we're all going to be together, I've taught you a whole lot of stuff. You need to go do it. Time to get in the game, guys. Like, you need to do it. I've told it to you. You know it. You need to go do it. But look what Jesus does. He doesn't just tell them that they need to go do it, is that he gives them an example. He says, not only do you need to know this, but in order for you to do it, you need to experience it. And you need to experience the love of Jesus, and you need to experience anew and afresh. Because what's happened in your life is you've had the teaching, but it hasn't been worked out in your life. That you've had examples You've had models to follow, but you're not living in accord with that way. All of the truth and teaching that you've had, it hasn't changed you. All of the Bible study that you've been doing, it hasn't changed you. That you've been a hearer of the word, but you haven't been a doer of the word. 
You know, and periodically I hear about, you know, groups of people that say, you know, we're in a Bible study. We've been, been doing a Bible study for years together. Fantastic. I hope more people would study the Bible. But it's amazing how many Bible studies or how easy it is for Bible studies and for Bible studies to meet together for years on end and conveniently to ignore lots of what the Bible teaches about caring for your enemies, about loving your enemies, about serving the poor, about being a witness for Christ, about, about sharing the gospel. And Jesus is saying, listen, disciples, we're gathered here together. I know you know it all. I know you have heard it all before, but there is a disconnect between what you have heard and the way that you are living your life. So I don't want you just to hear about the love of God. I want you to experience it, and I want you to experience it afresh. And so his love is seen in how, it's, how he serves, but it's even more, more remarkable when you consider who it is that Jesus serves. It's going around the table, James, John, Thaddeus, Nathaniel. You have to wonder about the uneasiness of Peter in this, right? I mean, he's watching this occur. He he's, sees it. He knows that something's, something's not right in particular. So he finally comes to Peter, and Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. Now, Peter, on the one hand, is humble enough to see the audaciousness of what Jesus is doing. I mean, Peter is humble enough to realize, wait a second, this is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. This is the Lord Almighty. He is the maker of heavens and earth. He is the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Peter is humble enough to see the audaciousness of what Jesus is doing, but he is proud enough to dictate to his Lord and Master how he should conduct himself. And so Peter, Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, but he won't submit to his lordship. Peter here, who is slow to understand and at times brashness outbursts, Peter, who on the one hand loves the Lord and very soon is going to deny him. Peter, who has this mixture of both incredible humility and hardened arrogance and pride. And Jesus comes around and he washes Peter's feet. Peter's just such an encouragement to me because it shows me that if Jesus washes someone likes Peter's feet. If Jesus' love extends to someone like Peter, then it extends to someone like me. That when I'm hard-hearted, and when I'm hard-headed, and when I'm brash, and that when I want to dictate to Jesus, my Lord and Master, how he ought to run his world and how he ought to run my life, I know and do, and I know, again, that if love extends to Peter, love extends to someone like me. But it extends not only to the Peters, it also extends to Judas. It was during the supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Is that Jesus, when he came to Judas going around the table, he knew exactly who Judas was, and he knew exactly what Jesus was going to do, and he was about to have a conversation with Judas about Judas' own betrayal of him. 
The text even says, not all of you are clean, not every one of you, for Jesus, for he knew, Jesus knew who was the one who was about to betray him. And so Jesus comes around the table when he gets to Peter, to Judas's feet, and Jesus is washing the feet of his betrayer. He is washing the feet of the one who is going to, who is about to set up his torment, his torture, and his crucifixion. And Jesus extends his love, not only to the Peters, but he extends his love to his betrayer, to Judas himself. And the wonder of Jesus' love and who he extends it to is that Jesus shows his love. As one commentator states, that Jesus doesn't just serve in spite of who he is. That is in spite of who Jesus is, being the Lord Almighty, the King of the universe. He doesn't just serve in spite of who he is, and he doesn't just serve in spite of what he's facing. It's remarkable that all of the weight that Jesus had on him, that he was actually thinking about somebody else instead of his impending torture and the stress he was about to go under. He doesn't just serve in spite of who Jesus is. He doesn't just serve, serve in spite of what he's facing. Jesus also serves in spite of who they are. He serves his disciples in spite of what they've done and in spite of what they're about to do. And so when you look at Jesus serving Judas, Judas here, and you consider what this means for us and this clear command that we're to love as Christ has loved us and to serve others as Christ has served us, is that you think about this, I imagine that when you when you pause to say, who does this apply to? Who do you need to love better? Who do you need to serve better? There were a number of names that probably popped in your head. Like, okay, yeah, I need to be more selfless and care for my spouse better. Maybe there's a difficult relationship in your family that you need to, to serve more. Does it apply to those? Absolutely. But think about those names that popped into your head. I would probably suggest that almost every name that popped into your head, that if that relationship improved, it would be of great benefit to you. That if you served your spouse better, it would be of great benefit to you. If you served your parents better or worked through an extended relationship better, it would really, really help things out a whole lot. But the amazing thing is that what Jesus does is that his love and service extends to those, to not only those that don't benefit him, but to those that would have it in for him and who are about to betray him. And so are those who oppose you or those that you oppose, do they know your love and service? I mean, what a beautiful witness this world would be if Christians were known for washing the feet of those who are most opposed to them. If that was what characterized Christian was, these selfless acts of love to those who were in opposition to the Judases of the world, what an incredible, beautiful Christian witness. You know, in our society today, with the nature of social media, the temperature on controversial issues is so high, right? And the temperature of discussions escalates so quickly. I mean, it used to be, were there political fights and were there social fights before? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? But generally what would happen is that you'd get like Newsweek magazine and there'd be an inflammatory article and it would take a week before someone could write the counter-inflammatory article. 
Or even in the midst of the news cycle, at least there was a day before you heard it again. But now in the midst of social media, the inflammatory comments and the inflammatory responses are nearly instantaneous. So consider this for a moment. What are some of the volatile, high-temperature issues in our society today? Well, there's the LGBTQ plus temperature, abortion, immigration, the environment, taxation and entitlements. Now imagine that you are talking with the most arrogant, loudmouthed, closed-minded person who holds the exact opposite view of you and washing their feet. And washing their feet. It seems that the example that Jesus gives us is that when Jesus says, love your enemies, he actually meant it. That when Jesus says to us, I have given you an example that you would follow in my example, that he actually means that we would be those who follow in his example. That we who are the followers of Christ, that those who know Jesus would wash feet like Jesus did. That we would love people, even our enemies, like Jesus loved us. And so his extraordinary love is shown in how he serves, it's shown in who he serves, He's given this to us as an example that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. But the only way that you can love like Jesus is if you yourself have known and experienced his love. If you yourself have known and experienced his love in a life-transforming way where there was this initial encounter that changed you. And then you know it in a continual way. This is exactly what we see in the interaction with Peter. Is that Jesus comes to Peter, and as Peter says to him, no, Lord, not me, Jesus clarifies that there is a need for an initial washing and a continual washing. He comes to Peter, and and Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not now understand, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share of me. Is that what Jesus is communicating to Peter? He's saying, listen, you don't love and serve Jesus first before, or you don't love and serve Jesus before Jesus loves and serves you. You don't love Jesus before Jesus comes to you and cleanses you. And what that means is that there is a realization that needs to occur with each one of us that the only thing that you bring to Jesus is your need for cleansing. The only thing that you bring is the dirt and filth that makes his cleansing necessary for you. And then the wonder of his self-giving love through his death on the cross, his blood is shed so that you would be washed clean. So that your sins would be taken away. Has he washed you? What that means is that you come before Jesus and you acknowledge him and you say, Jesus, I'm unclean. 
and only you can cleanse me, and I need you to cleanse me. And then you actually allow Jesus to wash you and to make you clean. You know, Scripture repeats this truth in so many, Jesus, so many different ways. 1 John 1.7, you know, tells us that it is the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all of our sins. It is through Christ's sacrifice that not only is our guilt taken away, but our shame is removed. That not only are the things that we have done taken away from us, but the sense of, of being wrong in our very being, that that is replaced and that we are purified from all of our sins through the cleansing of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us, and the two shall never meet. And though your sins be like scarlet, he has washed you, and you will be whiter than snow. But we can have this vein of humility and incredible arrogance at the exact same time. I know it was the story in my own life where I, I had grown up going to church and I was a good kid and for the most part. And so I knew and I believed that Jesus died for the sins of the world and I knew the stories of the Bible and I, I knew that there was no sin that Jesus couldn't forgive, right? And then I got to a point in my life where I sinned in ways that I couldn't believe that someone like me would sin in, where I couldn't believe that I would have done those things. And I was confronted with the depth of the sinfulness and the depth of my own heart and the actions that not only have I done those things, but I've done those things and that I'm the type of person who would do those things. And so when it comes, when it comes face to face to face with Jesus and interacting with Jesus, Jesus is coming to me and saying to me, he's saying, listen, unless I cleanse you, you can have no part of me. And I say, not me, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. That, that I know, I understand and I've read the Bible. I understand that, yeah, Moses went off and he, you know, killed somebody. And I understand that, that David, you know, had an adultery with Bathsheba. And then he arranged for his, her, her, Bathsheba's husband to be killed on the front line. And I know that Paul was the one who was persecuting the church. And I know that you can forgive any sin. And I know that you've done that. And I know that your forgiveness extends to anybody else. And I know that your grace can cover all those things. But that's them and it's not me. And there was this wrestling in my soul to say, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I can accept this. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus comes back and he says, if I don't wash you, you're going to have no part of me. And so for each one of us, what needs to happen is this initial washing where we come to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I bring nothing. I'm not the good kid who messed up a little bit. I bring nothing before you, and Lord, before you, I am wholly unclean. And Jesus says to Peter, he tells Peter, he says, Peter, you're clean. Because if you remember, Peter was the one who was in the boat, and he fell down at the feet of Jesus, and he said, get away from me, Lord. And you remember Isaiah, that when Isaiah fell before the throne of God, having encountered God Almighty. Isaiah fell before me. He said, woe is me, 
For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of an unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus comes to us and says, yes, you are unclean, but I am the one who will make you clean. And unless I cleanse you, you will have no part of me. So we need to come before Jesus and say, yes, Jesus, I need your cleansing. And maybe for some of you today, you've been the one that says, not me, that you've had excuses, that you've tried to reinvent yourself, that you've tried to turn over a new leaf so that you, wouldn't, that, that, that the old, that you thought the old person was gone, but you found yourself doing it right again, that you have justified every action in your life that is not your fault. And Jesus says, unless I cleanse you, you can have no part of me. So come to Jesus. Come to him and experience his cleansing and be washed and be set free. And for those who have had that initial washing, what's needed is for us to just to come to Jesus again and again. You see what Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head also. Well, if I need to be cleansed, cleanse me all over again. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. And you are clean. What Jesus is saying to Peter, he's like, Peter, you're clean. Yeah, your feet are a mess. But you're clean. You don't need to have this conversion experience all over again. You're a part of the household of God. I have cleansed you. All that's needed is for your feet to be washed. That you would experience cleansing, not in an initial way, but in a continual way. That you experience it anew and that you would experience it fresh again. You know, and at times what happens is that Christians forget that Jesus has dealt with all their sin. That they've dealt with their sin in the past, they've dealt with their sin in the present, and they've dealt with their sin in the future, and they forget that they're, they're clean. Or they assume that since they've been forgiven one time ago, that they don't need to cleanse themselves again. And it's kind of like, in that case, it's kind of like Christians who come and track mud through the house, and they're like, what? Where did those tracks come from? I have no idea how they got in here. And Jesus is like, get your feet clean. Come back again. Where we would come to Jesus and we would say, Jesus, yeah, I need you to wash my feet again. For only you can cleanse me from my sin. Only you can cleanse me from the pollution of it. And Jesus does so. And he invites us back into this continual washing and this continual cleansing, not so that we would be reminded again and again how much you need to be cleansed, but that you would be reminded again and again that through the blood of Jesus, you are clean. And so he wants you to know his love and to know his love afresh and to know his love anew and that we would live as disciples who not only understand in our head the love of God, but that we would live as disciples who live as those who experience and know the love of Jesus every day. So let's serve one another. Let's pray.